Father, we are so thankful for your faithfulness to each of us in our own lives, your faithfulness to your people through many generations. We're so thankful for the fact that your mercies are new every morning and never run dry. Father, we're so thankful that in every generation you speak to your people through your word and by your spirit. And so we want to come expectantly this morning that you want to do that again this morning. And we want to pray that as we tune our ear to listen to your word, you would speak a fresh word this morning that would kindle fresh hope in us and lead to fresh obedience and transformation in our lives. Father, help us to be open to the things that you want to teach us this morning. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I'd love you to turn to Isaiah 43. It's, it may not be on the screen this morning, so I'd love you to, to have it open in front of you. It's always a good idea anyway. Um, Isaiah 43. Um, just to remind you, we're in this middle section of Isaiah uh, where the people... The people are in exile. The worst thing that they could imagine has happened. Uh, they're away from their land. The temple's destroyed. Jerusalem's destroyed. Um, calamity and disaster. Uh, but God is speaking words of comfort and encouragement and hope to his people. Um, and Isaiah 43 begins with, um, I think, some of the most beautiful words in the whole book. They're not the words we're going to focus on this morning. Um, but it may, it may be that these are the words you most need to hear right now. And you may want to go away and uh, reflect on these words a little bit more. But I want, I want to read the beginning of Isaiah 43 before we come to the bit that we're going to focus on. Isaiah 43 from the beginning says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Um, again, those may be exactly the words um, you need to hear this morning. I think any time we are going through trouble, um, this is a passage perhaps that we're drawn to, to turn to when you've been living through difficult days, to know that God is with us in deep water, that God is with us in the fire, that he will bring us through. Um, incredibly comforting words. And so again, maybe, maybe the rest of what I'm going to say this morning is not what you need to hear this morning. Maybe that's all you need. Just take the beginning of Isaiah 43 and take it into your week. Um, if you're anything like me, um, if I've been going through a difficult time, I, I need that encouragement that God is with me in the, in the struggle. But if, if you're anything like me, what I would love God to say next is, in a little while, things are going to go back to the way they were before, before the fire and before the flood. Um, because whenever we've been through a, a, an uncomfortable time, I think, that's, that's a very natural human longing. We want to get back to the way things used to be in the old days before all this trouble came. There's comfort and familiarity. And so I would love after God's with you in the fire and the flood 
I'd love the next kind of big promise to be in a little while we're going back to the way it was before. But the, the words I want to read you this morning from a little bit later in Isaiah 43 are a little bit different. Um, and so I want you to look down with me to Isaiah 43, verse 18. Um, and this is what God says to his people. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? PowerPoint has magically appeared. So I'm going to um, put those words up on the screen. Um, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I wonder if you'd been the people of Judah living through exile. Is that what you would have wanted? Do you want God to do a new thing or do you want him to do the old thing again? Let's get back to where we used to be. It's not always when you're in trouble, the word that you want to hear. Um, I think this is a, a, a tremendously important um, uh, promise in scripture. Um, it's a word spoken to the people of Judah of that time, but it's also of enduring value. I think it expresses something essential to the character of God, that he's always wanting to do a new thing in each generation. Uh, and I think there's reason to believe it may well be a word we particularly need as a culture, as a church culture at this moment in time. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, look, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Just before, I'm gonna, I want to really jump into this. Those are the few verses we're going to really reflect on this morning. Um, just before we jump into them, um, maybe a little note of caution. Sorry, I meant to put up that slide just to express. Um, see, I'm doing a new thing. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, but first, a little word of caution. Um, if we take this word about newness in Isaiah by itself and run with it, we can end up thinking newness is all that matters. And you can end up kind of running after novelty and whatever is trendy and whatever is new. And that way actually ends up being really exhausting and quite shallow, just running after novelty for its own sake. Um, and I've, I've always felt this, um, kind of, this passage from Isaiah always needs to be set alongside another word from another prophet called Jeremiah, um, who said this, um, he said, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. So here's Isaiah saying, forget the former things, God is doing a new thing. Here's Jeremiah saying, look for the old roads, look for the ancient paths. And I think there's wisdom to be found in holding those two together. And you maybe have an instinct of which, which way you tend to lean. Uh, maybe tend to prefer one or the other, but we need Jeremiah's reminder because uh, it reminds us as we think about newness that God will not do anything that is inconsistent with his character. What he does in our generation will be in continuity with the story of what he has done in previous generations. And so we need to look for the ancient paths. We need to learn from the wisdom of previous generations and the wisdom of those who are older uh, we need to, to know the story of what God has done before, both in scripture and in church history. 
because that keeps us solidly rooted. It stops us running after every flight of fancy and novelty. Um, so we don't just run uh, all over the place. So that's a little kind of caution or reminder. Hold Isaiah, I'm doing a new thing along with Jeremiah. Ask for the ancient paths. Um, but having said that, I want to jump into um, this word from Isaiah because there is an equal and opposite danger. If there's a danger of running after novelty, there's also a danger that we only listen to Jeremiah on the ancient paths and we ignore this vital word from Isaiah and we can become so attached to the old ways that we miss the new things that God is doing in our time. And I, I've been really challenged thinking about this by what Isaiah says when he says, do you not perceive it? Um, I was really struck by the fact God does not say here, I am going to do a new thing, like get ready for it. He's saying, I'm already doing a new thing. But he says to his people, do you not see it? Do you not perceive it? And so it, it raises for me the very real danger that God could be doing amazing, new, fresh things all around me, and it's possible for me to miss it. It's possible for God's people to be blind to the things that God is doing. Um, and so it led me to reflect this week and wonder, um, I wonder what are the reasons why we can sometimes be blind to the new thing that God is doing around us? Um, and I've been thinking about the people of Isaiah's time, the people in the time of exile, and I've been thinking about us in 2022. Um, and I, for the second time in a week, I accidentally ended up writing a three-point sermon again. So something's happening. I don't know what's going on. Um, but uh, I, I've reflected on three ways that I think we can see in Scripture and in our lives that three things that might make us blind to the new things that God is doing around us. And the first one is this, is that we can be blinded by pessimism. When, when you've been living through a, a really tough time, like Judah in exile, it's really easy to become stuck in a mindset of despair and actually to become kind of addicted to a narrative of gloom and negativity. Um, maybe for the people of Judah, you can imagine they knew the stories of the miracles that had happened in days gone by and the time of Abraham and the time of Moses and the time of Joshua and the time of David. But you can imagine them sitting in Babylon saying, these are not days like that. These are days of decay and disaster and disappointment and darkness. And they, they no longer expect miracles of deliverance, uh, burning bushes being brought through the Red Sea. They don't expect those things to happen. Um, and I guess I've been reflecting there, there can be a strange kind of pleasure in pessimism in kind of shaking our heads and sighing and wringing our hands at how bad things are. Um, and actually, if we're not careful, we can actually encourage each other in it. Um, I don't know if you remember the two old men and the Muppets who used to sit in the gallery, and whatever joyous thing was happening in front of them, they just they encouraged each other and just saying, it's rubbish. All of it's rubbish. That was terrible. Um, and they encourage each other, and it's, it's possible to become like that. Um, or maybe like the two women in the hotel restaurant, and one of them says, the food here is terrible. And the other one says, I know, and the portions are so small. Um, you have to think about that one for a wee minute. Um, but it, it's possible to be addicted to 
a sort of perverse pleasure in pessimism and in complaining about how bad the world is, about how bad the church is, or how bad this generation is. Um, and I, I really think as God's people, we need to guard against a spirit of despair and gloom. And of course, there are always things that can discourage us. There is darkness and there is brokenness and there is confusion and there is mess. And I think right now, we're really, really aware of those things. And so I think this is especially a time when we need to guard against the danger of gloom and despair. Of course, we need to have our eyes open to those things and we will, we will occasionally visit pessimism. That's very natural and very human. But it's really important as the people of God that we don't set up camp there, that we don't live there. Um, that cannot be the dominant narrative in our minds and in our conversations. Um, and as I was preparing this, um, I sensed a nudge uh, from the Spirit to say this quite strongly, that actually um, to settle into a mindset of negativity is actually a kind of backsliding for a Christian because it is a denial of the hope of the gospel. And we are the, the people of the risen king, right? And if we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, that Jesus was in the grave, he was dead, there in the ground his body lay, the light of the world by darkness slain, but that then God did a new thing, right? Actually, the new thing, the archetypal ultimate new thing, then we can never again, of course we get discouraged, but we can never again be people who settle into despair because there is no brokenness, no darkness in our world or in the church or in our generation or in our lives that is beyond the reach of God doing a new thing of resurrection life coming out of what seems absolutely hopeless. And so as God's people, we cannot settle and we can't let each other settle into the pleasure of pessimism. Um, there's a, a Christian poet called Wendell Berry, who I love, um, who's a lovely line in one of his poems where he says, be joyful, although you have considered all the facts. And I love that. I kind of imagine someone saying to us as a Christian, but have you considered the facts? And you say, yes. Have you seen the mess of the world? Yes. Have you seen the brokenness? Have you seen the war? Have you seen the mental health crisis? Have you seen all that's going on? Yes, I've seen it. Why are you smiling? Because Jesus was dead and behold, he is alive and he has the keys of death and the grave. And so there is always hope that God is gonna do a new thing just when we think all hope is gone. Um, so let's encourage each other and maybe as a spiritual discipline, next time you notice when you're in conversation with a fellow Christian, um, when you notice the conversation sliding into uh, that narrative of despair, um, change the record. Just as a spiritual discipline, be the one who says, what new things do you see God doing in our time? And talk about that together. What new, because he's always doing new things. But sometimes as God's people, our heads are down and we don't see it. So we can be blinded by pessimism. The second thing is that we can be blinded by traditionalism. When we know about how God has worked in the past, we can think that's the only way he can ever work. Um, and by the way, it's a little unfair, the image I've put up, because traditionalism can wear a suit, a suit and tie, but it can also wear jeans and a t-shirt. We can get stuck in the way we've always done things or the ways we, we expect God to work. 
And again, maybe the people of Judah in exile, maybe they did want to see God at work, but the only way they could imagine God at work was a repeat of what he'd done before. And so, as we've talked about before, eventually they got back to the land and they rebuilt the walls and they rebuilt the temple and they found someone descended from David and put them on the throne and they kind of waited for the glory days to return. We've recreated what happened before and they waited for the glory days to come back. But God was wanting to do a new thing for a new time. God was actually getting ready to do something um, surprising and unexpected in the person of Jesus God's work was going to spill out of the temple and God was going to put his spirit in ordinary believers and send them out as a living temple way beyond the borders of Israel and to the ends of the earth and bring salvation and good news to all nations and all people. That's what God was getting ready to do. And if you were just trying to recreate the good old days, you were going to miss it. I think it's very easy to assume God will work in our time in the same way he worked in earlier generations or that he'll work in my middle age in the same way that he worked in my youth. And again, it's very human. There's comfort in what's familiar. And sometimes newness can be uncomfortable. Um, Maybe there were evangelistic methods that were really effective whenever uh, in a previous generation. And we assume that if God is going to move in our time, it'll be using the same methods. And we need to remember The gospel doesn't change and Jesus doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the gospel needs to be freshly expressed in every generation. And if we're too attached to our methods and our traditions and our techniques, we may miss the new thing that God is doing in our time. I was reading last week about John Wesley, who's one of my heroes, and about how when Wesley first came across people who were field preaching, preaching in the fields, He thought this was terrible because preaching belongs in the church, in the pulpit. But as he took time to pay attention and wonder what God was up to in his generation, he became convinced that God was in this. And he ended up riding on his horse the length and breadth of Britain, preaching in every field he could find. And tens of thousands of people came to faith. Of course, what's really striking is A few generations later, we're inclined to say, well, let's copy whatever Wesley did. And so open-air preaching and street preaching becomes the new tradition, where at the time of Wesley, it was the radical thing. Um, And so we need to ask, how is is the ever-life-giving gospel going to be expressed in our time? And when when John Wesley's brother, Charles, uh, was writing his hymns, um, I, I find this really surprising, but many people viewed his hymns with suspicion and distaste because their view was you go to church and you listen to sacred music being sung by a trained choir. And actually the tunes that Wesley was writing was seen as kind of rowdy and lowbrow and populist, like getting all the people to kind of raise their voices. And it sounded kind of like the music you would hear in the pub. And so people criticized Wesley's hymns for that reason. This is a bit vulgar and a bit crude. And of course you fast forward a couple of hundred years and those hymns become the traditional option. And we end up saying, what is that noise the kids are making with the drums, right? What's radical and fresh in one generation becomes, can become traditional and stale in another. Again and again in church history, you get a new movement full of freshness and vitality 
that can become in one generation the new traditionalism. We've got to be on our guard. We can be blind to the new things God is doing because of an attachment to forms and methods and techniques uh, that are part of our traditionalism. And of course, we should honor the good things from the past. And you know uh, that I love the old hymns and we should still sing them. Um, But we must not assume God can only work in that way. After Wesley's discovery of field preaching, one of the things he said was he said, I love the traditions and um, I can't remember the word he used, the the kind of ceremonies of the church um, and the way we do things, but I've been delighted to discover that God can work without them, right? I think that's a wonderful attitude to have. Um, We must not assume God can only work that way or we will miss the new things that he's doing in our time. It's kind of like we create little boxes out of our traditions and say, God must only color inside these lines. But when we do that, God will continually spill out of the boxes that we've created. And if we're not careful as God's people, we can miss the things that he's doing. Um, let's, let's be asking, what might God be doing right now in our generation that we might be missing because it doesn't quite fit with our little boxes, our expectations shaped by the past. We can be blinded by our traditionalism. Um, And thirdly, finally, um, we can be blinded by our our own spiritual dryness. Um, It's really difficult to expect God to bring newness in your world, in your culture, if you haven't been experiencing his newness in your own life and in your own heart. Um, all through the book of Isaiah, you realize the people of God had become spiritually dry and dull. Um, one of the, the strongest rebukes uh, that's given earlier on in Isaiah, in Isaiah 29, says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right? So they're still turning up in the temple. They're still turning up in church. They're still singing the songs but something's gone wrong in the heart. Um, They'd become blind to what God was doing and deaf to the voice of God. Um, The Christian life is meant to be a life in which we are continually made new. Uh, Newness is meant to characterize our days. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, inwardly we are being renewed day by day, even as outwardly our bodies are getting older. Um, and we're getting tired, and we're, we're winding down. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Jesus said in John 7, whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's a picture of a constant source of new life. And renewal, and by this he meant the spirit. John goes on to say, which he was going to give uh, to those who trusted him. Um, and so, let me ask a question: um, How have you experienced that renewal within you in the last week, or in the last month, or in the last year? That can be an uncomfortable question, but I think it's a good question to ask ourselves and ask each other. Maybe if you're having coffee with someone this week, you can, you can ask them, but also be prepared to, for them to ask you. 
Um, how have you experienced that renewing, uh, life-giving work of the Holy Spirit within you in the past week, in the past month, in the past year? And it's so easy, I'm speaking very much for myself, to get stuck in a rut of religious routine and going through the motions and going to church and singing the songs and saying the prayers, but there's no song in our hearts and everything has become kind of stale and secondhand. And when we become dull and dry like that, then we become blind to what God is doing in our world because we're not going to see the new things that God is doing in our world when there is not that newness that the Spirit brings every day in our own lives. Um, it's much easier to fall back on pessimism and just give off about how bad the world is or to fall back on traditionalism and just keep doing what we're doing than to ask the difficult question of what is God doing in your life that is new? How is he bringing freshness and new life and new creation in you? Uh, and to, to be honest in our answer to that, um, I, I do have a sense as I finish um, that God is wanting to do something new in our time. There's something stirring in the waters. There's something stirring in the culture. Um, that in fact, probably he has already begun to do something new. And as usual, as God's people, we're struggling to keep up with what God might be doing. Um, and he's going to be inviting us as his people to join with him in new adventures of faith. But you know this as well as I do. Every time in history, God has moved in revival and in awakenings and in stirrings of his spirit changing the culture. He began with renewing the hearts of his people. The, the, the first place of newness needs to happen is in us. We need to be refreshed by rivers of living water. We need God to come and put a new song in our hearts. Um, the psalmist says, Psalm 40, um, if you're wondering, what, you know, what do I do if I'm feeling that dryness and I know the song is not there and I'm going through the motions? What, what do we do? The psalmist, Psalm 40, says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And a few verses later, he says, he put a new song in my mouth. Um, but it begins with that honesty that says, I know I've become dry. And while I'm giving off about the world, I actually need to start off with the dryness that's here and bring that to God and wait patiently for the Lord. And he will release streams of living water. He will renew that song in your heart. And then you'll be ready to go out and see the things that God is doing in our, in our world. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing a song together. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that these words are true in every generation, that you say to your people, look, see, I am doing a new thing. It is springing up. Father, I want to pray that you would forgive us when we have been blinded by our own pessimism, when we've been addicted to a mindset of despair. Help us not to settle there. Help us not to encourage each other to settle there. Help us to lift up our heads and see the new things that you're doing. 
Help us to be people of resurrection hope. Father, I want to pray you would forgive us when we get attached to our traditions and our methods and our techniques rather than putting our trust in the living God and in the good news of Jesus, which is always the same, but always finding new ways to be expressed for a new generation. And Father, I want to pray um, for any of us this morning who are feeling, who recognize that we are dry, who recognize that um, the song in our hearts um, is just not there right now. Father, I want to pray you'd help us to be honest with ourselves, honest with you, honest maybe with someone we trust even this morning. Um, just to voice it out loud and say, I'm feeling dry. Father, we want to wait patiently for you. We want to look to you. Only you can bring that freshness and vitality. Only you can put a song in our hearts. Would you come by your spirit and bring those rivers of living water and renew your people again? Father, help us this week to be people who have our eyes wide open, to see the things that you are doing all around us and to be ready to join in and play our part. And we, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.